0: Well, we just praise God for all of our moms that are here. We also want to uh, make an acknowledgement that Mother's Day can be challenging for some of us that have either desired to be a mom or some of us have some hard memories of our current mom. So we, we know that today is not just a moment to honor and celebrate, but for some of us, this is a hard moment. And so we acknowledge that this could be a tough moment and we want to just uh, support you and bless you. In light of that, We want to recognize that our country is in a unique moment. Uh, I want to take a statement that the Bridge Church pastors have put together in light of some of the political tensions that we're seeing in our country. So I'll be reading a good portion of that. Um, We feel that it's important to give a pastoral word regarding the leak and the subsequent activity in our nation regarding the Supreme Court and Roe versus Wade. For those who might have missed it, um, there was news of the possibility that abortion would no longer be federally protected, uh, but that states would determine whether it should be legal or illegal. This has resulted in angst and outrage by some and increasingly contentious polarization in our nation. When this became public information, uh, I knew that some in our congregation would rejoice, seeing this as an answer to prayer, and yet others in our congregation would be filled with anger and lament. Whenever these moments emerge in our society, it's important that we give this word because we want to be grounded in something deeper than political decisions and Supreme Court deliberations. We believe that we cannot just have a vision of what's seen on the television, but we must have a kingdom vision that's bigger, that's longer, that's wider, and that is eternal. With that in mind, we want to make three points. First, we reject. We reject the current framing of this issue as a church and we refuse to be boxed into a political ideology that forces us to support women or protect an unborn child. Uh, We believe a kingdom vision supports and protects whole life. Uh, We believe it's possible to live with great concern and love for the unborn and at the same time carry great concern and love for women. Uh, Women who have to battle against the very real challenge and in some cases crisis of an unwanted pregnancy. Secondly, we recognize. We recognize that abortion and the politics around it often reduces human life to a decision. We recognize that children are more than a decision. Children, rather, are intended by God to be a well-designed and crafted gift from him. Yet we also recognize that the issues facing women are not limited to that decision of whether or not to have the child, but it includes maternal mortality, that is, surviving the pregnancy. And there are many black and brown women that oftentimes don't even survive the pregnancy. Um, It also includes the wages to support a child. It includes access to health care. It includes affordable, high-quality childcare. You see, we cannot be boxed into politics with a kingdom vision. Kingdom vision sees the whole woman, the whole life, the life of the child, and the life of the mother. Maybe our questions are being answered by two wrong answers, and maybe there's a broader answer that we ought to give. We understand, though, That holding these truths together is complicated. We understand that because we are inundated with information that we are getting pulled on two different sides of this issue. Furthermore, we don't believe public policy can answer this question alone. I believe this is why God has raised up the church. So we say this finally, that we receive. The way we've responded to abortion, we've supported crisis pregnancy centers, but we've also received and embraced women who are hurting and confused based on past decisions and or current burdens of unwanted pregnancies. I want to offer a word of grace to any woman who has been in that position in our midst today. I've read studies that say that one in four women by the age of 45 will have an abortion. Four out of 10 women who get abortions are regular church attenders. Yet only 16% of church-going women speak to anyone at their church before making that decision. Because sadly, these women don't feel safe. Safe to share what they're going through. If these statistics are accurate, that means that many women in our congregation are carrying deep pain, deep shame, and potentially guilt. And so we say to any woman who may be carrying that burden today, God's word for you is that he loves you, is that he's with you, and that he will not withhold his love, and that nothing can separate you. From that. We want you to know that God's heart is aimed at you with love, grace, and mercy. We would hope that we would be the embodiment of that if anyone is wrestling with that. And we don't want anyone to wrestle with those critical decisions alone. We have an email address, info at Bridge Church, NYC. If you are one who is in that crisis, or if you know of someone in that kind of crisis. We don't have all the answers, but we have, as a church, created support systems to the best of our ability, and we would do the same if you know of anyone in that situation. May we humbly be a people who embody the good news of the gospel, a gospel that cares as much about our bodies as it does our souls. Pray with me. Father, we come now as we preach your word, we come now acknowledging that you have designed us. We come now knowing that you create us in the womb. And so it is with that acknowledgement that we enter into a fragile moment in our culture, a fragile moment in our society, where division is rampant. Tension is seething and seeping Throughout every issue, it seems the church and the country becomes more polarized. May the church have a vision that goes beyond politics. May the church have a vision that actually defines our politics more than our politics define the church. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would unify our church, bind us together in love, and let us reach people wherever they are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen? Amen. Well, um, I'm uh, short enough. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. I'm short on time, but um, I want to talk a little bit about Romans chapter 13. And I want to talk about it um, uh, in light of not just what we just talked about, but um, it, it just so happens that today we are talking about the government. Uh, Romans chapter 13 gets into God and the government. Now, the text that we're going to look at today really is not just talking about governing, but it is talking about ordering, okay? So when I say ordering, every parent, moms, dads, every parent, what they're trying to do is punish bad behavior, reward good behavior. Punish bad behavior, reward good behavior. That's how you create order in a home. If you don't punish a child, they will think they can get away with anything. If you don't celebrate the things they do right, they'll be confused, right? So you need to do that. That's the same thing we want for teachers. When we get the report card, we want to know what do they do good in, what do they do bad in. That's how you create ordinary society. And so the, one of the other elements aren't parents and teachers, but it's also police. It's also the government. We want to celebrate good behavior and punish bad behavior, In today's message, this is the crux of what Paul the Apostle is getting at when he's talking about Romans 13, that we need the government in order to create an ordered society. Without the governing bodies, and he's he's gonna talk about police, because he's gonna talk about the sword, and essentially he's talking about the police. Without that, we will not have an ordered society. We would have anarchy. So the context of Paul bringing this up is because most Jews at the time were dealing with constant political tensions. These political tensions came from the fact that the Roman Empire had taken over Jerusalem and they wanted a political leader that would remove Caesar and remove Rome and now have Israel dominate uh, Jerusalem like it used to when they had a king. And so one of the, key tension points in the Roman Empire with Jews was the issue of taxes. Because taxes was a complex issue. Taxes funded roads, we need roads. Taxes funded food distribution, you need food. But taxes also funded the military. And the military and the soldiers with the same people that removed their ancestors from that place. So whenever they brought up taxes, taxes were either seen as a good thing to support the society or a bad thing to continue oppression and marginalization. So when Jesus is asked about taxes in Matthew 22, uh, they're trying to box him in. And they're saying, are you for Caesar? Are you for the king? Or are you for the people of God? And Jesus in Matthew 22 says, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And he is, in essence, supporting an ordered society with a government. But he's also saying that order that the government creates cannot be our only system of order. That we've got to have another kingdom that, presuppo- that is on top of that kingdom. A kingdom not of this world. In other words, Caesar may be operating in the temporal kingdom, but there is a spiritual kingdom that transcends that. And he's essentially saying, seek first the kingdom of God. And so he's trying to create primacy in the kingdom of God. Now, this was important because... Because of all the political tensions amongst Jews, there were what we call zealots and nationalists, and this is going to blow your mind, but there were actually people that wanted to take out the government in God's name and attack the capital. I mean, the empire, they wanted to attack the empire by saying God wants us to rule the empire. I know that's hard for you to, So, so he's trying to, what he's trying to say is, I don't want you to to destroy the ruling powers in the name of God because we need governance or we would have chaos and anarchy. And so when you look in the New Testament and the Old, what you see is that we're called to honor the structural dynamics of the government or what I would call the positional dynamics of the government. Positionally, that we we should honor police, legislators, senators, presidents. Positionally, we are called to honor. So that's in the positional dynamic. But then there is also within the New Testament and the old, an ethical dynamic, where we not only realize that, yes, Pharaoh was in position, but he was evil. So we have to look at them also ethically. Think about this with parents. The Bible calls you to honor your mother and father. That's what we did today. But we also realize that there are, for many of us, tensions with our mother and father. Simply because they were our mother and father does not mean we can intimately be connected. We look at people not just positionally, but ethically. All right? So that's, that's the tension that he's trying to get. So I just want you to understand, from this text, Paul is saying, structurally, we've got to begin with honor. We can't begin with ethics. Does that make sense? We can't begin with, I'm going to just look at you as bad because in structurally, positionally, I need to honor you. Let me give you an example before we jump into the text. Um, I had many, I've had many interactions with the police and, um, you know, just driving too fast, praise God, most, most of my time there. But um, most of them have been neutral. But one of the most tense moments that I've ever had with the police was when I was, uh, I I drove one day and it was raining out and my car slid into a ditch a little bit. And so I got my car out. I went into a parking lot. It was mud all over the car. And so a cop pulls up and when the cop pulls up, I I see him and they, they roll the window down. You okay? I'm fine. You sure? I'm good. Thanks, Mr. Officer. Goes along his way. So now I'm wiping the mud off my car. I'm doing my thing. And then all of a sudden, another cop car pulls up. I'm like, these guys are so nice. Hey. So I wave them off. And I go, hey, go, go. And then he pulls right up to my car. I was like, hey, you, got, you can go. You already, your buddies already came and checked me out. I'm, I'm good. Thank you. And I'll never forget, he was a shorter man. Came right up to my chest. He says, you were driving too fast. I said, no, 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 no. It was, it was wet out, I, I, maybe. And then just starts to berate me, yell at me. And I remember him coming this close to my chest. And I remember when I, try, I was just trying to explain, like, no, the cops already came. That's why I was waving you off. And when the man told me to shut up, I just remember thinking about him as a man, not as a police officer. I was like, what can you and I do And the, the, the anger that I felt when I got back in my car, my hands shaking, my heart beating fast. And I knew he was only doing that to me because I was a young black man. And we want to live in a world where we only see positions with purity, but we do not only see things scripturally. We see things experientially. And for many of us, we have experienced tensions with the government. For black and brown folks, we've experienced tensions with police. And those tensions have caused us to doubt the position itself. And so this is what Paul is attempting to do. He's attempting to get us to see The position alone. But throughout the New Testament, we see position and we see the ethical dynamic of that position. Does that make sense? Are we tracking on that? Let's look in Romans 13. And so the, the point of that story is that that was like a tale of two cops. One that was trying to create peace and safety. One that was abusing his power. Okay. Same position. Two at two different ethical outcomes. Okay, so Romans 13, verses one and two. So, th- so then now you understand the, the, the crux of this text. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists that what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur the judgment. So you have to feel the weight of what he's saying. He is is getting at a group of people that have been oppressed and marginalized and are frustrated, and he's saying, hold up, y'all. The structure in of itself did not just come because Pharaoh took over Jerusalem, or rather, uh, Caesar took over Jerusalem. This structure came about ultimately because any structure that is in place is being overarchingly seen by God. And we have to honor positive dynamics in the government. So he's, his focus is on individuals. We have to understand, though, that oftentimes this text is misread. And as it's misread, basically what it's taught to, to look at is ignore ethical acts and honor spiritual positions ignore the ethics and just they're the president oh they're the governor they're the police we that's the position they have as if to ignore those acts and if we ignore those acts then the church can never keep a government accountable to a higher standard so one of the things that we have to look at is Romans 13 does not come in a vacuum Romans 13 comes in the light of also Romans chapter 9, which came right before this. Now, what does Romans chapter 9 talk about? Pharaoh. And what it reads in Romans 9 says, Romans 9:17. for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. What he's saying is Pharaoh was judged for his evil and his evilness was was judged so that God would be glorified. That's what he just said a few chapters before. When we look at Pharaoh, we know that Exodus 3, the Lord says this, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard, listen to these words, I've seen the affliction of my people. I've heard the cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Verse 8, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the what? The cry of the people of Israel have come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God is saying in Exodus and in Romans 9 that he does not ignore economic exploitation, that he does not ignore enslavement, that he does not ignore harsh treatment of Israel, but that he sent Moses so that his people would be freed. So we have to understand that we have to take Romans 9 and Romans 13. The tension of it is, again, the position, the governing position, yes, God places that there. But we have to still see them through an ethical lens. Because if we don't do that, then we are going to land where we are today in our culture. And this happens every time a cop, something happens with a black man and a cop, This divides families. This is what makes Thanksgiving hard for some people. This is what makes friendships hard. The the recent world from 2013, Trayvon Martin, till now, whole relationships have been destroyed because of this very tension of positions or the ethical dynamic of that position. Um, And it's always been around. We just have it on camera now. It's just more seen, more evident now. In 92, when I was uh, in high school, I was in 10th grade, I I was uh, on the varsity team, and I played next to a guy. um, And we were really good friends. White dude, we laughed all the time, practiced every day. I mean, he was one of my closest friends. Well, some of you may know about the name Rodney King. In that time, Rodney King had been beat by officers in L.A. And when he was beat, um, I remember seeing the video at night and my dad and I had this long conversation. And then the cops that had beat him got off. And that night that when, they, when the officers got off, my school the next day did a discussion after school. And I'll never forget that discussion after school. As we sat there, talking, they, we went back and forth, and I'll never forget, my homeboy, it just blew my mind, he said, he deserved to be beat, and then he said, they all do, and I was like, who are they, and I, I said it in the moment, now mind you, I'm, I'm, he was a senior, I was, I was, I was 15 years old. But I just was shocked that my friend would say something like, I just, who are they? He's like, well, these black guys. And I'm like, did you notice (laughs) that I am one of that, I am of that genre? And then I'll never forget, he says, oh, I don't mean you. And I remember just how confused I was as a young kid thinking, how is it that you see him this man getting beat over and over and over again. And he, he started going on about how hard it is for a cop's, watch this, position. Think about the position they're in. And, and so I think that it's of utmost importance. If someone broke in my house, I'm calling the police. If there's a fire, I'm calling the fire department. These are all sanctioned and governed by the state, I pay taxes for them, I'm going to call them. But if a cop is abusive, I'm going to call him out. If there's something happening structurally, I'm going to call it out because we have to honor. So I honor the position. I think they're in a difficult position. But I will never ignore the ethical dynamics of any position, of any position. You, you go to a doctor and he, you know, he replaces your heart with a with an egg, and you're just like, "Well, you're 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 a doctor. I, I want to honor the business. Nobody does that. You call it malpractice. We don't do that with anything else. Why do we do it with this? We yes, I you, you have a degree, but it didn't work, right? And so all we're all that's so we have to look at all of these intention and realize that there are people in these positions honor the position. And so what so what I do want to get at though is we can't just disrespect governing bodies simply because they're governing bodies. We can't get into the I'll put I'll replace the word forget the police mentality. Praise the Lord. <laughs> we we can't we can't because because the reality is we can't forget the police. We need those governing entities. Now, there's a whole conversation about about more community policing, and I'm all for that. But, But the reality is this is broader than policing. This is about structures and governments, and we need governing bodies. We just, as a church, we just can't get diluted and possessed by a political ideology. Because when we get possessed and diluted, here's what's happened, we stop holding power accountable. And the reason why we stop holding power accountable is because we actually want the power from them. We want to draw on their power instead of drawing on kingdom power. Kingdom power remains pure when it is objective. I'm not just saying neutral. I'm not neutral on issues. I'm kingdom-minded. Neutral is like, I don't want to offend. Kingdom-minded is I could offend both sides. And I'm still focused on Jesus because I do not bow to a political position. I bow to a king and he will have a kingdom that will rule forever, and he doesn't operate in a democracy where he's voted for. He, he operates in a theocracy. He wasn't elected. He was crucified, see? So all of these things come into play when we think about the political world. All right, I'm going. Um, praise you, Lord. We just praise you, God. We, we, we praise you, Lord. As I, as te- well, teach, teach, the, teach me to look at the time, God. So, what does he say in verse three and four? For the rulers are not verse three, the rulers are not a terror to to good contact. You see the point he's making. It's not a terror to good to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority, then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out. God's wrath and wrongdoing. I don't have a lot of time, but what i um, if you notice the word sword, it's particularly talking about soldiers. And soldiers carried out the policing function. So that's what he's specifically talking about. He's saying they don't have the sword for any old reason. He's saying they have a sword, a gun, right? These are people with guns, right? These are people with swords. They're saying they are given those things to have authority. And he's saying... If you do what is right, you don't have to worry about their sword. If you do what is right, they don't have to worry about the gun. Now, what does this text presuppose? The text presupposes that rulers themselves are discerning between right and wrong conduct. The text supposes that those who are in power are doing good governments are doing good it presupposes that so paul is looking at the again the positional dynamic of the structure and so that is right if you are not speeding you do not have to worry about that cop although i worry every time why do i worry because i've been pulled over when i wasn't speeding you see so i don't i don't just think i was doing good see that see that's the tension of the text the tension is we should presuppose that they're doing good. But if you've experienced corruptness, you don't presuppose that. So I want to leave us quickly with just a, a, how a kingdom vision looks at our politics. One, uh, in looking at our politics, we have to remember that there is a theology of persons. That Paul's view of policing is built out of the idea that we are all made in the image of God and so that all people need order and that an ordered society moves us along into a space where we honor God for who he is and we also honor people. You understand? So essentially what the, the text is presupposing is that those who are in government are honoring human beings. So we have to have what we call 360-degree honor, where we honor God, we honor government, and we honor people. You remove one of those, and you have chaos. The, The second thing, though, and I'll just do the second part, is a theology of authority. We don't have time to go into it, but he literally says, honor the government. He literally says, pay taxes. I do want us to just make note that one of the things that have happened in our culture is the removal of honor for institutions. And there is actually what has been removed has been natural honor, and what's been replaced is natural suspicion. And what we have to have is a penchant, actually a, we need to lean into honor. We need to lean into honoring positions. In leaning into honoring a position, we must also move into holding power accountable. If you have a theology of authority says God puts people into power, a theology of authority also says God gives power to his people to hold those who are in power, positional power, accountable. This is important to note because Ephesians 6 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but what's it say? Against what? Rulers. Against what? Authorities. What the text is telling us in Ephesians 6 is when people get into power, it is very easy for them to slip into corruption. And we end up having corrupt systems, corrupt policies. And so there is a reality that on some level, this text is not just for the governing bodies, but this text is also for us to be careful not to get caught up in structural oppression in any dynamic, whether you're a teacher, lawyer, doctor, mother, father, that there's a reality that structures can be corrupted by power. And we can never fall into that. You see this In Luke 3, when John the Baptist is preaching, what he says is the crowds come to him and he's calling out repentance. He says, they say, what shall we do? So they're calling. They say, how do we repent? How do we live for God? And he answers them, very simple. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Now watch this. Tax collectors who worked for the government. He says, and also he baptized them and said, they said to the tax collectors, a teacher, what shall we do? Tax collectors. Collect no more than you are authorized to do. He says to the soldiers slash police, And we, what shall we do? And he says to them, do not extort money from anybody by threats or false accusations and be content with your wages. I want you to know there that each individual came to John the Baptist and said, what does it look for, like for me to repent? And John not only talked about their spiritual life, but he talked about their authorized position, their jobs. And I think it is important to note that we need to hold cops accountable. But if you are a boss, you are accountable to a king. If you are a parent, anyone in authority must operate with a level of accountability first to God and to others. Do not think... The police are the only corrupt ones. Do not think government can only become corrupt. You too can become corrupted. And so repentance cannot just be a mark of your personal life. Repentance must touch your vocational life. And if it doesn't touch your vocational life, then you may may protest in the streets, but you are bowing down to corruption in your office. This is how we have an ordered society is that God is your boss. Is that God is your king. And your boss can never be the one to truly dictate your devotion or your passion or your energy. In closing, it was on January 16th, 1963, that eight clergy, two Methodist bishops, two Episcopal bishops, one Roman Catholic bishop and a rabbi Presbyterian, they all came together and they had what they called an appeal for law and order and common sense. They wrote this because they called for an end to violence surrounding the civil rights protests and implored both sides to just, watch this, trust the court system. They wanted them to trust the court system but they made no no statement about the current state of segregation. Three months later, April 12th of 1963, this group of eight composed another letter. This one contained a not so veiled criticism of Martin Luther King Jr. and all the participants of the Southern Christian Leadership Council whom they characterized as outside agitators. They questioned the political witness of King and others. And they argued that such actions as insight to hatred and violence, however, technically peaceful, those actions may be, may, however, uh, peaceful they may be, have not contributed to the resolution of our local problems. They went on to say We do not believe that these days of new hope are days when extreme measures are justified in Birmingham. What you see then were pastors, bishops, and clergy simply saying, trust the position of the government. Even though we have segregation. Martin Luther King, he would eventually write back, realizing that Their approach came from a certain approach of their faith and how they viewed law and order. King would say in his letter from a Birmingham jail, I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. Just as the prophets of the 8th century B.C. left their villages and carried their, thus saith the Lord, far beyond the boundaries of their homes, towns, and just as the Apostle Paul left his village of Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to the far corners of the Greco-Roman world, so am I compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my own hometown. Like Paul, I must constantly respond to the Macedonian call for aid. With that, he said, I too am looking at them positionally, but I will never ignore unethical acts in the name of politics. And he then becomes a framework for us to look at life positionally and ethically. I want you today to know um, I want to pray for mothers, fathers, teachers, lawyers, bus drivers, MTA workers, for we all have a measure of authority that we're called to. And I believe that we have to start with us and move our way to governments. And so as I close, Instead of an altar call, I just want to pray for us. Would you stand? God has put us all in a certain position. I pray that whatever position He has put you in, that you would honor the true King. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come now acknowledging your deep love for us. We come now acknowledging your deep love for the oppressed and the marginalized. God, I pray for presidents, not just our presidents, presidents globally. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would even now touch us, move on us so that we would purify our authority, purify our leadership, and that we might honor you. In Christ's name, amen.